0: Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Good morning. Welcome. Come on in. Take a seat. I am um, so, so glad to see you this morning. Hmm. I am going to continue talking about a life of pilgrimage, let me read you one of my Favorite verses. When you get to be my age, you have so many favorite verses you lose count of them. But that's okay. When you get to be my age, when you sing how faithful are you, it means a whole lot different than when you're twenty. I just I just gotta tell you, it just it's a whole lot richer. It means more, because now you have the benefit of hindsight, and you see how faithful he is to you, and he is incredibly, incredibly faithful to us, and his goodness does pursue you and overtake you. I could stop right there, and we could just worship for the rest of the day for that right there. That's all we need, but this is one of my favorites. In fact, this is the verse that really inspired me to... I felt like the Lord said, I want you to talk about this. Um, you're not going to see this up there because... The Lord just spoke it to me this morning to remind me. He does that to me. That's His way of keeping me dependent. Blessed is the man. This is Psalm 84 verse 5 blessed is the man or the woman whose strength is in you whose heart is set on pilgrimage and so this week we're going to continue the whole concept of a life of pilgrimage we want to be a people whose life is set on pilgrimage and last week I kind of went back to the beginning of what the pilgrimage is supposed to be like. And we, we really started with the great greatest pilgrimage in the Scripture and the history of the Bible, which could have been titled, the book could have been titled The Pilgrimage, but it was called The Exodus. And they kind of mean the same thing, except the emphasis is on leaving something. And so every pilgrimage... In the Lord starts with leaving something and somewhere. But today, what I want to talk about is how the Lord transitions us out of his rescue effort into another rescue effort, a new total salvation effort. And it all starts with an immediate, abrupt kind of thing that God begins to do in the lives of every single one of us, it is always the way he starts working in the lives of the people he calls out for his own possession. And that would be you and me. And this process, I believe, is absolutely misunderstood. And we're going to look at some of the scriptures that address that today. But it is... I'm going to categorize it as the whole idea of obstacles or tests, T-E-S-T. How many students do we have here? How many of you love tests and exams, midterms? There's a few hesitant people. They're weird. (laughs) If if you raise your hand, we're just going to say, you know, give us your anointing because the rest of us hate tests. Right. Even if you feel like you're ready for a test, you don't. Your your blood pressure goes up. You start getting sweat stains. You're you're you are you can not sleep. You don't pull an all-nighter because you're studying. You just can't sleep, especially when it's that big important one. Right? How many of you remember those days? Some of you go, I I I, I have PTSD from those days. I don't want to remember. But in January of 2009, I am glad there was one man who had taken a lot of tests. His uh, nickname, his last name was Sullenberger. Sully was his first what people called him, Sully Sullenberger. And he was a captain of an A320 Airbus that took off with 150 souls on board, plus three crew, plus he and his pilot co-pilot. And when they got to about 3,000 feet out of LaGuardia in New York on the flight to Seattle, which was a, you know, that's a long haul. So they were were, uh, prepared for a long flight. They hit a flock of geese. And when those geese entered the engines on both sides of the airplane, they shut down both engines. And both of those engines couldn't be restarted. The minute it happened, Captain Sullenberger, who had 20,000 hours and the captain's seat, he'd been an Air Force fighter pilot before he joined U.S. Air, and he immediately said to his co-captain, it's my plane, which is, in speak for, I'm in charge, you do your job. They had a Protocol, they knew what they were supposed to do. He tried to start the engines. While he's trying to start the engines, he's also immediately addressing the fact that he may not be able to, which means a very, very heavy airplane is going to land somewhere very, very soon. And all 150 souls are at risk, including his own. Now, what's so amazing is he pulled off what's many called the miracle of the Hudson. He landed his airplane in the Hudson River and not a single soul was lost. Now, that's a great story. (laughs) And we go, he's a hero. And he kept saying, no, I'm prepared. One of the things that all the airlines do, and in fact, everything about general aviation is like this. The day, Brenda, well, her dad is a pilot. He was a colonel, a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. She grew up flying gliders. As a kid, she just loved flying. I, on the other hand, kind of had this fear of flying. I'd been in a few really bad storms during my business career. I'd gotten all shaken. And then one day, the Lord says to me, through a series of very prophetic events, I want you to go learn how to fly, and I go on, everybody wants to fly, wants to fly all their life, I've never wanted to fly, I hate flying, but I had a fear of flying, so interestingly enough, the greatest thing happened for me when I first got introduced to flying, is the guy said, well, I'm going to tell you how not to kill yourself, that's how he started his training with me, it's actually the absolute best thing he could have said for me cuz I wanted to understand what I could do to avoid doing what I feared. And Brenda started listening to all these ways you can kill yourself as a pilot. And she developed a fear of flying that she'd never had because she began to understand the risk associated with it. And can I just tell you, a lot of us, when we get rescued from Egypt, we have this idea that everything is going to be okay and there is no risk anymore. Wow, God, this was so fun. God just always topples the armies of the chariots that are coming after us. And what we don't understand is you have just now started your adventure against the enemies but you don't know it yet. And so today, I'm going to be your flight instructor that says, I'm going to try to tell you how not to kill yourself. Last week, we covered the great Passover story, and we took a fresh look and a fresh perspective on the start of our pilgrimage based on the children of Israel. So let's review for those of you that weren't here, and those of you, I feel like the Lord said to me, I want you to slow down. What are you in such a big hurry? Most people need to hear things three or four or five times before they actually, the penny drops. So the Passover was and is the most significant festival of the children of Israel. Interesting, this seasonal festival is officially called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, In fact, with the Passover being the pinnacle event of that festival week, it's a week-long festival, the Passover got its name from the fact that the death angel passed over anyone whose household had the blood of a perfect male lamb smeared on the lintel and doorpost of their house, which that blood was applied with a bunch of hyssop. Hyssop are like a mint plant that has beautiful purple flowers, when they dry and wilt, they would take that hyssop, dip it in blood in the sanctuary, and it was part of their Jewish ritual of sacrifice. Well, the hyssop was used to touch the doorpost. In the new covenant, Jesus signifies both the lamb that was slain, we just read, sang that this morning, and the door to the house. He signifies the lamb that must be completely consumed. There's no option to pick and choose what part of him we take. We must take him all or not at all. A significant part of our D cycle is dedicating to make sure you decide to take all of Jesus and not just the parts you like. Well, I like the Jesus that forgives the... Adulterous woman, but not the Jesus that would also judge her if she didn't repent. You get the outside of him, but you also get the inside of Jesus. In other words, the lamb couldn't even be, you couldn't take his guts out. You had to roast him whole. Nobody did that in those days, but that's what the that was signifying. (coughs) We have to take all of what Jesus gives us. We have to take all of Him. The lamb's blood was to be collected and applied to the doorpost. When Jesus bleeds on the cross on Passover day, it signified the blood that must be applied to the door of the house in the new covenant we are being invited to the father's house Jesus said in John 14 in my father's house are many dwelling places it's his house it's not our house or any other house we're being invited into the father's house all of humanity on the other hand is represented by those families who were too small and too poor to provide their own lamb. The triune God invites us to dine with his family in his house. He provides the sacrificial lamb raised in his household. Guess who that was? Jesus is the Father's precious lamb. And Jesus is also the door to the Father's house. He said in John 10, I am not a door, but the door. He is the exclusive door anyone wanting to avoid eternal death must walk through. I want you to listen to this. Watch, listen. His exclusivity is not based on prejudice or personal preference or any other human variable, it's based on his performance. He had to perform, and he did. It's, a rather, it's rather simple to understand. No one else's blood is able to appease death, the destroying angel, for all of eternity. No one except his. The door to the Father's house has the lifeblood of Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, smeared on the doorway that each of us must walk through. If you can imagine, Jesus on the cross was the lamb who was shedding his blood, but he was also the door held in heaven that we have to walk through. And all of our humanity is represented by these small families that can't take care of themselves. If we'd agree to walk through the door of eternal life, we pass from death to life, just like the death angel passed over the children of Israel. Now, lastly, just a little, again, this is where God is so consistent. You know, one of the, I just heard a guy talk about hell. He was at Northwestern University in Chicago. He was uh, part of an, athe, uh, an agnostic club. And he said one of the things that had really, he, he was offended by Christianity. This claim of exclusivity—he—he—he he, he was offended by that fact. A lot of people are, by the way. And, but—but um, but they think it's personal preference. They think it's about you just your prejudice. You are a Christian, so you believe that. But, you know, there's a lot of good people out there in the world. And sometimes we are our own worst enemies, trying to explain that. But he said the agnostic club really part of their core value was that we really don't know if there's a God we're not atheists; we just don't know who God is and he said one of the things that one of the people proposed to do while he was a student is we're going to examine all the other religions of the world and we're going to see what their holy books say and what you know and he said what they concluded as agnostics after six months of study, and he said, and we all came to this, we all came to an agreement. There's one irrefutable fact that the Old Testament, Pentateuch, and the Jewish Bible and the Christian Bible is the only book that's been written by a whole group of people over a long period of time that has this incredible consistency that the pattern keeps repeating and the story consistently is is repeated and he said that became the kernel to bring him to Jesus because he knew that everybody else had just written their book lot one person maybe two but mostly one and What the Holy Spirit was showing him is how God pulls everybody together this way, and he pulls the story of the gospel together this way. Now you say, well, Steve, why am I sharing that? Because I'm not in a hurry. we got some young disciples here that need to get some foundations about this blood sacrifice thing. And we got some old believers that need to be reminded about the power of the life-to-death transition that happens through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that we fail to do in this understanding is this. We fail to understand there's so much more after we pass when the death angel passes over us. But this is a very, very, very important kind of theological distinction. So let me, let me try to m- make it. The children of Israel, the death angel passed over them. In a lot of respects, when you read the following story, they almost took it for granted. Yeah, 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 we, death angel didn't kill us. Well, the death angel, the final enemy is death, according to Paul. That is the final enemy that Jesus had to defeat. And he defeated it on the cross. What he didn't defeat completely was all the residue and residual impact of us being raised on a fallen planet. And that is what church is mostly about training each of us to become like jesus and so so what happens is let's let's read a verse here what i never want us to do as a church even though we talk a lot about spiritual maturity is underestimate the value of our redemption or anyone else's redemption there are a lot of people that don't, they're just like the children of Israel, which we're going to look at here briefly. They complain and whine and curse, and they don't act like they've just passed from death to life. They, they don't act like that. They act like they did when they were still fl- slaves. But can I just tell you, they have been exempted from death eternal. And let's let's so why is that so important to Jesus? I'm talking today like an evangelist. I'm talking today like somebody whose focus is on. You know, there's a lot of churches. This is the only message they have, and some of us go. Well, I've been to that church, and all they ever talk about is meeting Jesus and getting saved, and you know, getting born again, and and that's not enough for a lot of reasons, but the main reason isn't so you can be personally well-developed into a nice Christian. The main reason is you become much more effective at getting others rescued from darkness when you actually look like Jesus. That's the main reason we're to grow up. So let's never lose sight of the fact that our main goal is to make sure the Passover event happens in the lives of the people that we live with now it's really gravy if we can get them to become deep following disciples of Jesus and that's what we're commanded to do it's not just to get them redeemed out of Egypt but delivered from Pharaoh's army so, so let, let's look at this verse it's Exodus 13 so the Passover happens they're all clothed they're all ready to go they're ready for pilgrimage they're dressed for pilgrimage the death angel comes, Pharaoh's house says, you guys get out of here or we're all going to die. The children of Israel have, over the preceding weeks, have been given gold and gifts from the Egyptians who actually loved their slaves. And they plunder, the scripture says they plunder Egypt, they, they get out and listen to this verse, it's Exodus 13, 17, and let me, let me do an aside. You know, we, we do a lot of points, and I'm not going to comment on the fact that I think that can be very good. But I would like to encourage you, as your pastor and chief disciple maker, uh, you know, so part of the message that I'm sharing with you today came from a phrase I heard 40 years ago that changed my life. I, don't, I didn't understand what it meant. I mean, I thought it sounded really cool. But I wrote that phrase down. And the reason I wrote that phrase down is because the people discipling me made this statement one time that I still remember. And that was this. The dullest pencil is better than the sharpest mind. The dullest pencil is better than the sharpest mind. And one of the things that I let me let me look here to college students. I know you guys have all these new means of taking notes, right? How many of you still use paper? Oh, wow. How many of you use how many of you use the iPad electric pencil? I, I you know I, I'm glad I asked the question. The dullest pencil is better than the sharpest mind. I want to encourage you. When we throw up the points we're making, that may not be the points the Holy Spirit is making to you. So uh, I still, to this day, have a paper notebook. And on my paper notebook, I have November twentieth, two 2017, a journal entry I made four years ago on my birthday. And I, I keep that there because it was an important message to me for the last several years. Now, the reason I'm saying that, oh, here, let me show you something else. This, I'm slowing down because the Lord, this is elementary, throw me my, throw it, throw it, throw it. Okay. All right, this is, this is not a doctrine this church is, is believing in, but it's one I practice. See my coat of many color pins? I even have, because I'm kind of a little neat freak when it comes to my Bible, I have all these key cards that I get from hotels, and I use them as markers to underline, circle, make notes of different colors. I have a whole color code I won't get into with you. But I want to, you know, this Bible is marked up. I mark what the Holy Spirit highlights because I Have my memory is fainter than my pen, and I oh wow that's a great verse, that's a great verse. So that's just a little aside on how to study the Bible. It's not the only thing. It's not even the most important. It's just my way. Now, the children of Israel. Let's read the text Exodus thirteen. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Another way of saying it, even though that was a closer route. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Now, there is always a honeymoon period when you meet the Lord. How many of you can remember those days? You met Jesus, the world is great, I'm going to heaven and everything is perfect and nothing bad will ever happen to me again. And temptation... It's amazing how many people who have been totally addicted to drugs and alcohol and all kinds of other addictive behaviors say, I'm no longer addicted. Well, that's because the Lord knows that you're not ready for the warfare that you must undergo. And in his mercy, he takes you a route. And that route is a place that you prefer not to go. And that place is called the wilderness. And the Lord inevitably takes his people over and over again to a wilderness. And Jesus himself modeled this at the beginning of his ministry. The Holy Spirit in Mark, it says, drove him to the wilderness. The Holy Spirit knows that something transpires when you get into a spiritual wilderness. Another place, another way to say it is not wilderness, because when I think of wilderness, I think of last of the Mohicans running through the woods, you know, that's my, that, that, how about desert? How about Joshua tree? How about Gobi desert? How, let's think desert more than, that's the kind of wilderness, a wild place. And so, Let's read, now let's go to 1 Corinthians, and the 1 Corinthians text uh, that we're going to throw up there, it's out of 1 Corinthians 10, and it's out of the Message Bible, and I just want you to listen as I read it to you. Remember our history, friends, and be warned, And and Paul's talking to Jewish believers, all our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea, They went through the waters in a baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink, meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them, that stayed with them wherever they went. And the rock was Christ. You see what Paul's doing? He's doing the exact thing I was just doing. The lamb of God, the lamb that was slain Jesus the lamb can I tell you by the way rocks don't go wherever you are let me just do another aside on how to study the Bible Um, one scholar said this all metaphors are lies okay well here's a good example is God a rock Of course he's not I mean not really he's like a rock Jesus isn't a lamb by the way he's like a lamb in other words the incomprehensible infinite God has to use language that you and I can understand that's the point of a metaphor and metaphor is what the Bible uses all the time So when people say, well, you need to take the Bible literally. Oh, really? Sometimes you don't. That's not always the best advice. So you need to understand this when you're studying the scripture, okay? And you go, yes, Steve, I get all that. Well, I'm not talking to all of you all. (laughs) I'm talking to you, the, the ones that don't get that. Because we have different stage folks in the body here. All right, let's keep drinking. Let's keep drinking from the word here. And they drank from the rock, God's fountain for them, that stayed with them wherever they went. And the rock was Christ. Just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert. And God was not pleased. This is New Testament, by the way. The same thing could happen to us. We must be on guard so that we never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. Most of your more literal translations say got caught up in idolatry, which is really wanting your own way. And we must not turn our religion into a circus as they did. First the people partied. Then they threw a dance. We must not be sexually promiscuous. They paid for that. Remember? Remember? With 23,000 deaths in one day, this is that part that you need to eat whole. This is the part of the insides that you've got to eat. We must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of us serving him. They tried it, and God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. We must be careful not to stir up discontent. Discontent will destroy them. Discontent destroyed them. These are all warning markers, danger, in our history books, written down so we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. <coughs> they at the beginning, we at the end, we are just as capable of messing up, messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Now I don't preach. I don't even need to say anything. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need is to remember, to remember, is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. So, my very dear friends, when you see people reducing God to something they can use or control, get out of their company as fast as you can. Okay, when I was a young believer, like a lot of young men, I had a major problem with lust. I love that verse. Because I would say, there hath no temptation taken among men, which which is not common to man. But God will provide a way out. I memorized that verse. I would scream that verse. It didn't always help. There's a lot of reasons for that. But the point I'm making is, I thought that was going to be the biggest temptation or test in my life. At 17 years old. Well, here's some good news. I really did get over that temptation for the most part. I really did. And I didn't need to objectify women. And I got to that point. But then I ran into some more tests and temptations. And I didn't know that's what they were. I just thought they were irritating people that God put in my path. The scripture says in Psalm 103 that God made his acts known to the children of Israel, but he made his ways known to Moses. What I'm talking about today and what what we mostly talk about here is the ways of God. And one of the ways of God is that he is going to test you. So, I just want us to look, we're going to, will you allow me to go an extra eight, nine minutes today? Is that okay? All right, let's turn over to Exodus. Another thing I want to encourage you to do is really use your old-fashioned Bibles and mark them up and read them. I I, got to tell you, I, I practice this. If you leave your Bible laying around and I can see it, I always want to see what you've marked up. And, and I, I want to, it's not that I'm judging you. It's wh- I want to know, are you really meditating on the Word? Now, that doesn't mean that some people have this, you know, well, gosh, I, I don't want to mark the Bible up because, I, you know, it's, it's a sacred book. And my, here's my verse for that. Show me a verse for that and I won't mark my Bible. so the children of israel you know the story i I wish i could camp here i just want to say this the children of israel passed through the red sea walls towering walls of of the sea itself there it's dry ground the army of the egyptians are behind them It says that the Lord led with a uh, pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day in the desert so that they wouldn't get sunburnt, burnt, they wouldn't be overly oppressed in the heat of the desert. And then it says when the Egyptians came after them, they had a change of heart, the Egyptians did, and they said, wait a minute, our slaves are getting away, we need to go get them. What what were you thinking to let them go? Even though all of our firstborn children have died, well, they've already died. Let's go get them and punish them. Let's kill a whole bunch of them. And the children of Israel are in this cul-de-sac with their back against the Red Sea, and God's the one that took them there. Yeah, that's the way the Lord works. First sign. And they start fussing at Moses Uh, are are there no cemeteries back in Egypt? We're all going to get killed. And they're just griping and complaining. And the Lord says, and Moses starts crying out to the Lord. And the Lord says to Moses, Moses, quit crying to me. Take your staff and point it toward the ocean. And the thing parted, and the children of Israel walked through on dry ground. And then Moses, when he turned around, and the Egyptians said, Hey, there's a pathway. Let's go chase them trap. It was a trap. It was a good trap. In fact, it was such a great trap that the children of Israel really had a hoe-down praise fest in the next chapter. The whole next chapter is nothing about the worship of God and the praising of God and the celebration of God's deliverance from the Egyptians' the army. Now, you know what's really interesting in that next chapter is the children of Israel actually don't do much celebration of the passing of the uh, death angel. There's not one mention of it. They, they, They hardly acknowledge that they've passed from death to life. What they acknowledged is that they were rescued from the power of Egypt both the Pharaoh and his system. The Apostle Peter writes a confusing verse to a lot of us, but it's not confusing if you have a Jewish mindset. He says, baptism saves you. And people get into all kinds of doctrinal arguments about well, what does that mean? Because we have one very narrow little definition of salvation, and that very narrow definition definition of salvation is passing from death to life. That's it. But the children of Israel actually recognized what was really, really important to the Lord, which was it's not just enough that we get passed from death to life, but we pass victoriously separated from the systems that control and dominate the inside of us. Not just our eternal destiny, but our destiny right here. Do you see that? And baptism is what saves you, the apostle apostle said. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that it saves you eternally. That's why the thief on the cross did not have to be baptized. He passed from death to life. He believed in the blood that was being shed right there for him. So what is this this great salvation? This great salvation is that we no longer have to be dominated by the world system and the culture that has become our insides, our interior life. So here's what happens. The minute we pass through the Red Sea... The Lord starts his pop quizzes. I mean immediately. And I'm not actually going to get into the test of the Lord. But what I am going to get into is kind of the principles that we need to kind of keep in our mind as we encounter the obstacles, the test, the the difficulties. One of the ways they train pilots so a young pilot, generally speaking, the way an airline pilot is trained or an Air Force pilot is trained. In fact, I bought an airplane from the Air Force Academy. It was a single-engine, two-four-seater airplane. It was pristine. It was nice. The guys that fi- fly those fighter pilots, guess where they start on that, that little airplane? Because they want to teach you the basics of stick and rudders, what they call it. They want they want they want you to begin to understand aeronautical laws. They want you to understand how an airplane actually flies. The same principles that take that little four-seater Cessna is exactly the same thing of a, a 322 Airbus. It is exactly the same. It's just a little more it's heavier, has a lot different engineering requirements, but it's the same laws of physics here's what they do. They begin to give them... Have have you guys ever watched a YouTube video? I, I do stuff like this. This is what I do. They've got these incredible simulators. And the simulator, the pilots will sit in the seat, and it looks exactly like you are flying an airplane. And I guarantee you what Captain Sully did is he had been in that simulator... Many, 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 many times. And the minute that airplane engine went out, he had about 15 things way down the road he was thinking about because he had been tested over and over and over and over and over again. Which is one of the reasons, by the way, most of us fly airplanes without... Some of us have a little... How many of you always pray right before takeoff? Okay, Most of, a lot of us do. How many of you pray when you're landing? Yeah, there's a, yeah. well, <laughs> there, there's always that little awareness. You know, there's no roadway underneath us. It's hard to stop in the middle of the road while you're flying. And so there's this awareness. But see, part of the reason... The aviation industry has so few of these accidents, is the unbelievable extent of training that they go through. And that is exactly what the Lord does with us. He is wanting us to look like Sully in the captain's seat when disaster happens. And disaster is going to happen to you, you're going to be betrayed by someone you're going to have a crisis of health. You go, well, Steve, I don't want to believe God for a crisis of health. Well, let me just tell you something. In fact, let's let's look at chapter 15, verse 22. So Moses brought as, turn to your Bibles if you've got them. Read your version. You're not going to see it up here. Uh, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea then they went out to the wilderness of shore I think that's almost like the Lord's giggling behind his hand the wilderness of shore and they went three days in the wilderness and found the water and when they came to Marah they could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter, circle that word bitter therefore the name of it was called Marah which is bitter and the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree when he cast it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. And he made a statute and an ordinance for them there, and he tested them. The Lord, te- I mean, they have been three days past the Red Sea crossing, they've seen this mighty miracle and they start complaining. They've just seen the most amazing miracle that no slave could imagine. One, your slave masters let you go. And the next miracle is you pass through the Red Sea with walls all over you, and now you've got a little bad-tasting water, and all you can do is complain. How many of us are like that? The minute we meet Jesus and everything is honeymoon and God is glorious and we say, I praise the Lord after this great deliverance. And that's what they did. All of chapter 15 is about that great celebration. That's exactly what chapter 15 is until we get to this part. They've just got through praising the Lord. They've, been, they've had, I mean, he had to play the piano all day. So did the band, their fingers were bleeding. There was so much worship and praise. And then they start going into the wilderness and three days later they're given Moses the what for. Bitterness, can I just tell you, the bitter parts of your life is always where the lord tests you. I don't care. You go, "Well, I I felt led by the lord to do this." And he took you into a place where there were bitter waters and you wonder what is going on. And the biggest temptation you're going to have is to complain to somebody else about somebody else instead of taking your complaining heart to the lord and saying, "Lord, you know, you just took us through water. You, I see. I, I mean, I'm literally looking at a a cloud, a pillar of cloud that's that's over our head. I'm I'm watching a supernatural event, even as we talk. <laughs> and all I want to do is go, look what you've done. You've led us here to kill us. Complaint. <clears throat> and. What the Lord is wanting us to take, he puts us in those circumstances. He puts us with those kind of bosses. He puts it so that your spouse has things that you just can't stand about her or him. Uh, he puts you in places where your children don't act the way they are. you train them to be. Because you know what's in you? And this is what I wrote down years ago, it's much easier to get you out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of you. It's much easier to get you out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of you. Let's say that together. It's much easier to get you out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of you. Let's say it personally. It's much easier for God to get me out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of me. Most of our life is spent as a follower of Jesus getting Egypt out of us. Getting the slave mentality and the ways of Egypt out of us. And so part of my Let's all rise. My invitation to you today is to embrace the idea that when there is a negative event in your life, can I just tell you, as Americans, we want to fix everything that is negative, don't we? If the toilet is leaking. We want to get it fixed. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying we are a problem solving people. I mean, that's a characteristic of us. It's not a bad characteristic except sometimes God has fixed a fix to fix you. You've heard, some of you've heard me say this. God has fixed a fix to fix you. And when you go to fix the fix that God fixed, he fixes another fix to fix you. That's another one I heard. I remember going up and going, would you say that again? And I took really careful notes. Because let me just tell you something. I am a slow learner. I have failed so many tests, but can I just say something about tests? God tests you because He loves you. He's actually pleased with you. He wants you to be promoted. Tests aren't so you can fail, but if you do, He has a remedial course. There's no such thing as permanent failure. Well, there is, but we don't want to go there. How many of you would say in your heart, there's some tests I've failed and I'm willing to take them over again. And may, and, and can I just say the biggest bulk of the tests we have, especially here in the United States, are relational. They almost, sometimes they have to do with finances, sometimes they have to do with sickness, sometimes they have to do with crisis, and, and those are real. And uh, but But when you're young, typically, those have to do relationally and the thing about relational stress is we always feel justified with our position and the Lord is going really were you Christ-like in that were you willing to suffer for my name's sake? were you willing to love and forgive and be gracious even to those who had none of those characteristics towards you so let's pray, and I want you to just say, Lord, I want, if you're willing to, and you know of a test you failed, or you're just willing to take tests and be tested by the Lord so he can prove who you are, so he can expose those areas in your life that are not ready to go into battle. Some of us are itching. We've got, we're like a bunch of soldier boys that want to go into battle having no idea how dangerous battle really is. You will get destroyed, which is what happened to the children of Israel, even though the Lord spared them for a while. Lord, we just pray right now. We, we say we want to, the, fe- the test we failed, we'll take the remedial course. We'll, we'll do the supplemental education. Lord, we want to we advance. We want to be promoted to the next level of maturity. Lord, we want to embrace your ways. We wanna be like Moses. We wanna understand the ways of God, not just your big events. All right, amen. Now, one of the things that this morning as we were praying And by the way, you're always invited to come and join us at 915 down in that building right there on the bottom level. You can walk through the doors, first room on the left, and we're praying for the the service and for the church. And One of the things we really felt like the Lord was saying is we're going to pray. We want to pray for sickness and disease and physical sickness and disease. Some people uh, in our church struggle with some physical ailments that are very severe. And so one of the things that happened right after this event, in fact, let me just read it to you. Let me get back to Exodus 15. And he said, this is after he tested them, listen to this. And he said, if you will diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, Give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes. I will put none of these diseases on you, which I brought on the Egyptians, for I'm the Lord who heals you. Wow, that's a powerful verse. Part of, the. I think, the overall sickness in the body of Christ is due to the fact that we fail over and over again the test of the Lord, and we don't keep his ways. And so sickness and disease... Often flood into the body of Christ in a way that it shouldn't. Now, here's what I'm I'm going to say. I believe we've had no one even get remotely close to spending a, uh, a no one in this church has been on a ventilator. We've had some fo- co- folks with COVID, but you know we've been praying, and I, it's been one of my daily prayers. Lord, put uh, separate us so that we, like the children of Israel don't suffer from any of these things and that's been my prayer but I want the elders and some of the other staff to come forward and we're if you need prayer for that or you just want to pray through a struggle you have you have gotten to that cul-de-sac in the in the wilderness and you're wanting to complain it's okay to complain there's only one person you can complain to and that's the Lord All right, come on up elders, life group leaders.